Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Claude Walker, how you going, mate? Well, thanks. Good to see you. Likewise, mate. It's uh, been too long between drinks on the podcast, so I'm thrilled to have you Cheers. back, mate. Cheers to you, yeah. For those of you that are watching uh, on YouTube, g'day. Uh, we uh, we might do a bit of sh- screen sharing today. We'll see how we go, but we're going to talk about five companies that caught our eye during reporting season. It just so happens, and we we're talking about this off air, that all of them have massive insider ownership. Uh, we didn't pick them for that. They just happened to have that. And we got talking, mate, about how much is too much when it comes to insider ownership. What do you reckon? Well, sort of a long time ago, looking, so this is back in 2013, I did a review of a lot of the best performing companies. So they would they would have been mm-hmm. the companies that performed well in the years leading up to 2013. Mm-hmm. And I sort of concluded from that based on looking at the data that the uh, amongst those high-performing companies that, that we called superstars, it was quite common to see founders who were leading the company and also owned between about 20 and 40% of the business. So we've always been pretty comfortable in that kind of range. I think we were, you know, there's it's more contentious to say whether it's good when founders own over 50% of the company because it can be a double-edged sword. They control it completely and they don't have to listen to you and they certainly don't have to do what you want. Um, And by you, I just mean you, the shareholders, the other shareholders. Mm. So you want to be very certain that the founder isn't just good at running the business but also wants to share that as evenly as possible with all the little shareholders. But when you you stumble upon that situation... um, it can be really great because often the fact that the founder owns so much of the business is evidence of the fact that the business has been able to scale without needing lots of extra capital, which might be evidence that it's a capital-like business and also might be evidence that the founders are quite frugal with how they're spending company money and therefore it might actually be the best kind of company. Yeah, you mentioned something off air to me and I agree with all that. You mentioned something off air to me before, which is, when you look at different types of companies and at a point in time and you look at the capital structure and that might actually tell you something about the history or the style of the business. And um, I won't take the words out of your mouth, but 
I think that's really neat too, because like, how does a company get to where it is today? And tracing that through time is it is really important. Yeah, that's right. You know, you'll often see something come to market that has, you know, its largest shareholders are private equity, for example, and you know, it's perhaps its founders long gone from the business, and you know, mm. has a residual one percent holding or or whatever it is. People have been diluted out along the way. There might have been all sorts of uh, tough situations happening and basically the more people you've had to bring into the business the more capital you've had to bring bring into the business the less likely it is that the business itself has developed some sort of fantastic competitive advantage which has been able to allowed it to grow just by reinvesting its own profits which is really the kind of business you want if you're the long-term investor looking for the compounding multi-year multi-bagger totally i actually i just as we were chatting just a minute ago i pulled up this is just in the ticket terminal the top performing companies um, like as of today, it's like September 6th, on the ASX, purely based on share price change over the past 10 years. So you've got Prometicus, Pinnacle Investment Management, Objective Corp, which is one of the companies we're going to chat about, Hub24, Dicadata, Core Lithium, Chalice Mining, uh, Piedmont Lithium, never heard of that, and uh, Aristocrat Leisure. So just in that list there, Prometicus, Pinnacle, Objective, I don't know about Hub, Dicadata definitely, Call lithium, I think, but that's still pretty speculative. Uh, yeah, I'm not so sure about that, but I think also Aristocrat for a long time did have, I'm not quite sure now, I didn't, I didn't look at it closely, but certainly Technology One, the one below that as well, also the founder managed to hold on to a lot of shares for a very long time. Mm. And, and it just the goes, as well, min- Mineral Resources, which is right below there. Yeah. Fortescue, like Next DC. Corporate Travel as well, which we just scrolled past. Yeah. There's a heap of companies in there. Medellin. Um like founder run or founder controlled. Although is Magellan so still a heroic story? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We'll just scrap the shot one from the record. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's really interesting. And it, you know, in in the in the US, you get a lot of we're saying like um, dual sh- class share structures where they have like different voting rights. We don't really see that in Australia, but I guess you said it before. If I could just summarize, like knowing the incentive of the person that runs it and has this huge ownership is really important because if you're like pre-revenue or you're early stage and you've got a massive shareholder ownership, if you're an insider, your number one financial incentive is to pump the company, right? You're just going to pump, mm. get the share price up as quickly as you can. Whereas if you're in a m- more mature business, you've got dividends, you can pay yourself fully frank dividends. You don't yeah, need that's a- right. Is there an option for you profiting by taking your share of the profits or do you just need the share price up and then sell the shares? That's, yeah, that's it. That's a big question. And- Actually, it's a good lead into the first company I wanted to talk yeah, to, talk. We, we, we were going to, which you have also written about over the years. So I know mm. that we both have followed it. It's called LaserBond. It's still quite a small cap, probably under the radar, but it is still led by um, Wayne Hooper. Yep. And um, he was founded by he and, and his brother, Gregory. Greg, Gregory Hooper has left the business uh, mm. not that long ago, actually. And that did actually give me a little bit of... Uh, pause but you know he's been they was founded in 1992 so it's been an extremely long run 40 years you can definitely imagine wanting to retire and 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 you know move Mm. on and do other things after that amount of time uh so what laserbond does is it essentially makes tools and metal machinery last longer it does this in two particular ways uh or i think it might do it in a few ways but the two main ways are 
high pressure, high velocity oxy fuel, which is, involves spraying semi molten droplets of coating material at extremely high velocities to improve the durability of the tool. And the other one is laser beams, <laughs> um, which basically uses a high power laser to um, somehow make a surface material bond the chemicals or the atoms bond higher. I'm not exactly how, sure how it works on a scientific level, but the outcome is to make these surface materials harder and less vulnerable to wear and tear, which can really pay off because if it's mm. mining equipment, if it's a drill head, if it, whatever it is, it can be quite costly to replace. And the reason that I kind of got interested in this stock during, ooh, I mean, I've been following it for years just because it's that that sort of founder-led um, compounding, it seems like honest, competent management who've been doing a good job building a business with IP. I've been following it for quite a few years, but I got reinvested in it and currently own shares. Sometime in the last year, I, I kind of want to check um, my share side account to tell exactly, that's a free plug for share site. You're welcome, guys. Um, the... <laughs> Exactly when when I did buy buy it recently, but basically the theory in my head was that as inflation became more of an issue and supply chains became more of an issue, it would quite likely mean that you know there was more demand for laser bond products, mm. and um, as a result, earlier in twenty twenty two, I bought I bought shares and I, I didn't time my purchase particularly well um, over the. I've actually owned shares of Lazebond in the past. So overall, I've done well on this company because of that sort of long-term uptrends it's been, but I'm not claiming any... My timing wasn't particularly great, but it's still doing well. Its results were good. It went up on its results. And I guess that's what I wanted to talk about and why I think it's interesting because you said to me, you know, what do you reckon did well out of results? Mm. And and Lazebond came to mind. And, and I'll talk about the results in a minute, but, I, but I'd also love to hear what you think about the company, Owen. Yeah, for sure, mate. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a really well-run company. And I think uh, COVID hit it harder than a lot of people thought because it actually resulted like, in the business being unable to move equipment down to, for example, its Victorian facility, um, an inability to sell some of its technology. And so... It was because it needs hard, to go and it? install it, right? That That's a yeah. great point, actually. And I would not have mentioned that either, but it's a really good point. And even though COVID did hit it, its results for the last mm. few years were, you know, they didn't fall off a cliff or anything. They just didn't grow, essentially. Yeah. And they have three sort of business lines. One is they'll take the customer's tools, apply their techniques to it to make those tools last longer, give it back to the customer. Uh, then it has a different business line where it will make the tools itself using its special techniques and then try and sell them and say, hey, you know, don't buy that steel mm. roller or whatever off, off some other guy because if you buy our, ours, it'll last heaps longer, you know, five times as long, you pay us twice the, the price, everybody wins. So they're getting a little bit of success with that as well. And then the third and most profitable when it works part of the b business is mm. the technology division, which allows other companies to use LaserBond technology by purchasing the production-ready systems as well as the support required to integrate the machine into their processes. So that has been impacted by COVID because if they're selling to overseas customer in North America, New Zealand, whatever it is, obviously they don't want to go and give their technology to their direct competitor in Australia. Um, I don't know if they do that. I've never asked them, but I assume they would not be that keen. Mm. And um, so it has been, you know, travel's been harder. They've also had supply chain issues 
which have caused, uh, you know, essentially delays, they reckon, on their the delivery of uh, their, you know, their technology systems to a couple of clients. That's why they're now forecasting that they will manage to get, um, you know, more technology sales in the coming year. Mm. And they also have a bit of a bottleneck when it comes to personnel. So it's still, it is still like it's a labor intensive business as you can imagine. So that's, that's worth mentioning too, is that they, they identified like they're in a skills shortage that's currently going on around Australia. Like they need people to work in factories. They need apprentices. They need experienced folks. Interestingly, Wayne Hooper is an engineer. And so his background is like very much embedded in like the, the scientific side of things and, the process of this technology. So he's like a, a technician at the top and, um, you know, he's built a lot of people around that and a whole R&D division, even though it's a tiny company uh, around that. And so um, it still requires humans on the floor to bring products in, service them or make products from scratch. So they're going to recruit and that's going to unlock a lot of uh, throughput, particularly through the Victorian facility, uh, but also in Sydney there as well. So um, overall, like the business has multiple ways. What I like about it is the business has multiple ways of winning. It can do like a license technology, as you said, but it's also got greenfield and brownfield expansion, like WA, further into Queensland, so on and so forth. Um, I, don't, I think it's worth noting that I believe the Hooper family as a collective still own, I think, over 40% of the company. So Yeah, I think so. I remember looking at the – I'm just trying to grab my notes up right now, but – I remember looking at the top 20 holders and the, and the name Hooper appears quite a few times there. So, mm. yeah, look, I think you could sort of argue that it's still in, in many ways founder-owned. Yeah, there I've got my charts up. So, basically, the good news was that in these most recent results, every single one of those three divisions, it grew half on half. The biggest improvement was in the services division, which kind of aligns with the thesis that I, that I was saying, that I thought, oh, there might be more, more demand for their services as the actual mining companies, et cetera, et cetera, are all doing pretty, not all, but most of them are doing pretty well at the moment with um, commodity prices rising. And also you have those supply chains issues, but also they did, you know, it was kind of flat in the products business half on half. So I'd hope to see that improve. But the real big winner was the licensing revenue from that technology division, which jumped up from essentially zero to 2 million um, as they got one big, license off sold and as i said look they're, they're expecting another couple two in the next year so it should be a, a strong year for the licensing division if the other segments do quite well i wouldn't be surprised to see improved earnings yet again and mm. at that point we've got a business that looks like on a pretty healthy uh growth trajectory mm. it's a hundred million dollar business and it's i think it's targeting 60 million in revenue is that right Think from ah uh, yeah, but I do massive. I massively discount their yeah revenue targets because a few years ago they had a revenue target that I just don't even. Million, I, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you'll be better reeling off yeah. those numbers than me because I basically just throw it out in my mind, um, and it pisses me off actually a little bit when companies do multi-year revenue targets. I might be a bit of an outlier then, but for me it's often a red flag. Um, there's other like you know red companies that have put out these massive targets and then, oh, yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to be 2024, it's going to be 2026. And for me, I don't like that LaserBond has this sort of 
stretch target, but also you have to appreciate the spirit in which they put it forward. And I think that Laserbond kind of, it was a little bit awkward with their tar- multi-year targets because they put it forward and I didn't read it as being guidance, but as you get closer to that one, it sort of becomes a guidance that they're then going to miss. Mm. Um, so I, I wish they didn't do that. They do do that, but I, that doesn't really take anything away from the business overall. I would not assume that those targets will all be met, but what I do think yeah, there's point. good evidence of is that over the long term, these guys are growing their earnings per share every year. They're profitable every year. And in the short term, at least, all the signs point to next to 2023 being decent as well. Mm. So when those things combine, and of course, in this actual result, they showed their earnings per share having been flat at about $0.03 cents f- for FY19, FY20, and 21. In FY22, they got growth of over 10%, about 15%, I think, to $0.3.5 cents per share. So at the current share price of, of $0.90, cents, they're not exactly super cheap. But as I was saying, um, I, I think there's a good chance they'll grow again in, in the next year. So one to watch anyway. I do own shares. Mm. I'm not recommending any stock right now. Uh, but I do, I do think their result was good and the share price did pop up on that result. Yeah, I'd conclude that it's a it's a good result. Um, and I think you also get a dividend to keep your company as well, fully franked. Uh, something we're chatting about, you know, founders loving to get dividends as well, as much as us. So um, that's Laserbond, LBL. Uh, mate, the next company is one that I'm, I, I know it from a distance, but I'm not intimately familiar with it, which is a company called PWR Holdings, which is... Um, it trades under the ticker symbol PWH. As far yeah, as not I- to be confused with the ticker symbol PWR, which is a different business, also something to do with auto- automotive stuff. So yeah, don't as be far confused. as as much as I know, I know that there's a founder at the helm of this company. I know it does cooling systems for the Formula One and has like a monopoly on that market. As trying to grow in aerospace and defense, um, that's kind of like where my knowledge starts to run thin. Yeah, so basically what it does is it has two segments are broken up into um, advanced cooling and emerging technologies. So the emerging technologies, I, I plead guilty to not understanding that well. It's still the minority segment for them. Mm. But I think maybe they're deli- like, um, there's some vagueness to it. It's supplying or looks to supply military, for example, partly. It, it's much more uh, rocket science. Like, actually, I think they call it aerospace and defense is the mm. is the segment there. And then they also do have some emerging technologies to do with, you know, just basically high-quality materials, I think super lightweight, super, super strong materials, and that's sort of adjacent to the advanced cooling stuff, which also has um, considerations about having reliable, strong, but also light materials. Uh, Look, these guys, their big risk is that they make a lot of money selling to the F1, Formula One. And if there were to be any change to uh, the F1 specifications that reduce the need for cooling, uh, then that could cause some sort of problem. Um, However, the good news in these results was... The CEO made comments basically along the lines of that they've the F1s put out their their new specific specifications. You know there was nothing to worry about according to him on the conference call, and so uh, that probably like reduces that short term risk. And then, um, sort of in the long term, if you zoom out, this is this is a company that has consistently grown its revenue half on half since the December nineteen half. 
And in the most recent half, which ended June uh, 22, it had record half-year net profit and record revenue. Just keeping in mind that there's some sort of cyclicality to its net profit. So expect the first half profit next year to be lower because sort of every year it, it goes up, down, up, down, up, down, but because that first half is weaker on a profit level. And okay. and then so just don't be surprised when it goes down half like in the in the next half, half on half, but it should still be higher than the prior corresponding, corresponding period. Uh, not to kind of sidetrack us too much, but what do you make when a CEO and founder has a handlebar mustache? <laughs> uh, I, I cannot uh, make any conclusions from appearances, I'm afraid. No, unfortunately not. But, um, it's, but he does uh, seem like a maybe a gruff but wise character. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he seems I imagine like him. a straight shooter. And everything that I've read and everything that I've heard, um, Keys Wheel seems to just live the industry and um, just a true like global leader in it. So um, it's just, yeah, it's just a, obviously tongue in cheek, but um, it's always seemed to ex- trade on a quite a expensive multiple uh, PWR. So um, I don't know, have you guys done any at a rich life? Have you guys done any write-ups on it? I know Raymond's pretty familiar with it. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Raymond's did a, did a coverage of um, PWH or PWR holdings uh, for yep. the website. There's a couple of, articles overall that you'll find um i'm not sure which one of them are free but definitely some are free for anyone to read yeah okay, so if you, just Goog- if you just google um you know pwh and, and a rich life it'll it'll come up to our little our company page there yeah sweet okay go and check that out if you're interested in this company because it does it definitely i think these are these make for really interesting businesses when a business has such a tight grip on an industry a niche and then it says, well, we're good at this. Where can we go next? Um, and it does that in a way that's, you know, sensible, taking its core competency and trying to expand. Whereas a lot of companies just claim that they can go into another industry and um, they haven't even dominated the one that they've they've got in front of them. So um, really interesting business on the ASX. Um, okay, mate. So next up just, for us. Just a final, just a final thought on yeah, that sure. one. One positive, we did see a little bit of director buying recently, but also mm-hmm. one negative, which is that it's priced sort of for perfection in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's way above my my sort of desired buy price. It's on about 44 times earnings. Okay. Um, however, if you look at the chart, you'll just laugh because it really went down to about $6 in, in June and it was so, I was so close to buying. And, and then, of course, once the market turned, it went back up to uh, $9. So it's a little bit of a volatile darling in a way and mm. it's possible in another sell-off. I mean, as we're recording this, we about to find out, I think, an interest rate rise. So if those kind of macro things push these growth stocks down, I believe this is a quality, founder-led, honest, competent management business. It's just recorded its best ever results. Like there's a lot of ticks in its favor, one for the watch list. Yeah, well, just we are recording this on Tuesday, 6th of September, first Tuesday of the month. And it looks like the RBA has increased its cash rate. Uh, by 50 basis points. So there you go, um, as expected. So um, yeah, keep that in you, mind. You can, you-, <laughs> you can tell we're specific stock people that we're like <laughs> recording this during the big announcement. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? If you look at growth-focused companies and companies that trade on loftier multiples, obviously the, the discount rate, is they're more sensitive to that. So just be aware of that. Uh, speaking of growth companies, mate, the next one, it's a good segue, is uh, Objective Corp. Trades under the ticker symbol OCL. I think you and I, most mostly me, um, had to kind of, uh, I guess, have some regret with this one because I've 
known about it for a while. I've seen it pop up in like screens and filters that I do on the ASX. I've never dived deep into the company. And I think I'm going to have to because it actually appeared and we saw it just there on the list. But when I did a review of the best performing companies on the in all of Australia, um, Objective Court was right up there. Uh, in looking at it today, I noticed that the the founder still controls around 65% of the shares outstanding. And he's um, he's produced a really good uh, shareholders letter for anyone that wants to be introduced to the business because it seems like it's really unwieldy, but the way I'd probably characterize it is software for enterprises and mostly industries that are highly regulated. So like councils um, or say like the more recently building and construction, um, those types of industries are where Objective Corp does its bidding, shifting more to software and subscription, which is kind of interesting. Um, and its ARR is is growing. It's annualized recurring revenue. So, um, yeah, mate, with that said, I'll maybe th- pass it over to you and then riff on it in a minute. Yeah. Well, I have the same regrets, mate. I just looked at my share site. First time I bought this company was in December 2015 at $1.90 per share. It's $14 now. <laughs> However, before you think, oh, that Claude guy's really clever, uh, I sold it at $1.74 per share for a handy loss. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, so, I don't have that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I got cowardly then, um, but I paid for it. And um, look, I think I mean it was, I had no excuses. I should have held it, and I watched it ever since. And finally, realized, you know, by 2019 that there was upside to be had just as they transitioned their license fee customers into a recurring revenue business model mm. and that had a te- that had the temporary and this is a, a cool little thing that you'll see on markets it's a repeatable way to make money doesn't always work but i just want to explain it yeah sure when a, and i guess this opportunity is gradually dying out now but there was this feature of markets over the last 10 years you've got a software company it's got license fee revenue it might be a let's call it a million dollars license fee plus $100,000 per year maintenance fee and that license mm. fee is for 10 years. So they get 10 years out of the license fee, a million upfront, and they get 10 years worth of 100,000. Total is 2 million, right? Then as they transition people to a subscription business, the subscription might be 250,000 per year. And the immediate effect is when that 10-year license is up for renewal, instead of getting a million dollars renewal they get 250,000 so it's a reduction in their revenue mm. in year 1 over 10 years they're going to get um 2.5 million dollars as opposed to getting only 2 million over 10 years which is what would happen under the license fee model so uh, depending on the prevailing interest rates at the time uh, which is like the value of money um usually companies would be better off overall from this but either way it just makes their results look artificially bad in year 1 as this transition completes, you no longer have this problem where you're going down from a license fee to just a subscription fee. So um, then that that sort of headwind disappears and the financials start looking better. So I was like, all right, I want to buy for this reason. And that was 2019, end of 2019, right before the sell-off. And thank God for I actually had the conviction, which I'd built up over watching this stock go up ever since I'd sold it for for was 2015 I sold it so it was 2019 four years of watching it go up <laughs> I was crying so it was one of the few stocks that I actually was buying during that March sell-off 
and build a bit of a position there. I just looked and share site. My return from this is, is running above 50% per annum. So pretty happy with that. Hmm. Um, even that's even after it came down to $14 now, still slightly above my buy price, um, at the moment, but these results were once again, like, and that's the theme of this podcast is what companies reported well. And once again, it's fair to say that objective reported well, Hmm. and let me just get my notes up, but basically, yeah, you you go now. What do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, there are companies on the ASX where, they're still transitioning to that. And I think it's important to probably also note the difference between SaaS and subscription. There is often a, a, a slight uh, difference between the two. Uh, if you can move to a subscription, in which case you get that, in your example, $250,000 a year, but you can also have SaaS, more SaaS-style models where you can have prices increasing every year as well. So you That's push true. through the prices. And so those businesses get, become really interesting. And that shift to the cloud, I often think about this, right? I often think about this is one of those big, kind of like a tectonic shift in in global markets is that um, they come along every so often. This is one of those, the shift from on-premise to the cloud and then subscriptions as part of that. And um, I think if you're an investor and you can identify one of these big shifts, you can make a lot of money just by identifying those big shifts and then hunting in those grounds. And um, I think this is one of those that I still, like you said, over the last 10 years, it's been pretty fruitful, but I still think there are opportunities to exploit this going forward. There have been a few companies that have made that shift and or at the very later stages of that, but then maybe they continue to compound. Um, like, I mean, Salesforce started it in the 2000s, but... And we're still going today, but I think there may be more opportunities. Anyway, back to um, Objective Corp, insider ownership. So probably a bit too much maybe, but um, that's good. Like good margins, growing business. So so the founder's fairly publicity shy and and seems to just get down to running the business. You know, of all the companies I've... I've actually followed for this long. Objective Corp has been the least receptive of any that I know to like actually engaging with shareholders or me in in any particular <laughs> way. Like I've gotten emails back from them on a very rare occasion, but mostly just like, "Hey, when are you guys reporting your results?" And they'll be, and they'll be like, two weeks later, they'll be like, "This day." <laughs> um, and and um, yeah, I mean, look, that's okay. In a, in a way, they do put a good lot of effort into their annual report. The I think we both read the the letter from the founder and CEO, very informative about where they're at, where they're going, all that kind of things. You can see that he's focused on the business. But if we do look at the numbers, in the second half, the earnings per share was 11.5 cents per share. Now, because this is a sort of recurring revenue business, I think in a way you can just look at that second half and annualize it to get a feel for where their current earnings run rate is. So if we just annualize 11.5, we've got 23 cents per share. And and you could even argue that's being a little bit generous. Now, um, even using this generous idea of earnings, you have, um, what is it, $14.30 um, so it's a P ratio of about 62 based on, on that, you know, simple way of measuring it. So you can tell it's expensive. However, the quality of the actual business is also very high. And, and one way that you can measure quality, for example, is are you seeing operating leverage, which means as you get more revenue, are your margins going up? Yes. And then another way you could look at is you could say, all right, well, is the pay, is it just paper profits or is 
the profit well represented in, in free cash flow. And again, with Objective Corp, you have uh, an actual profit of 19.5 million. Mm. And then you have a free cash flow. Well, you had um, 30, 30.5 million operating cash flow that they do make acquisitions. And the, 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 that meant that there's you know about 4.7 million capex, but still you're looking at 25, 26 million in free cash flow. Oh, probably actually more like 23 million once you consider um, the lease payments that they make on their on their premises. And either way, that that sort of covers your profits. So you know very healthy in that regard. On the same thing when it comes to the balance sheet, uh, no debt, but they do have 63 million in cash. I think it is so. Overall, there, you know, recession, whatever happens, it might affect the share price, but you can probably be sure this business is going to power on. On top of that, I think we were discussing like what kind of software do they do? I don't think we've even said yet, right? Yeah. So they do like content management software. So this is for big organizations controlling who sees what kind of content, making all the content searchable. But the big organizations that they specialize in tend to be like local governments federal departments, um, police, uh, all of these like government thing. And it's about reg tech. So their specialty is um, information control. Who sees what? Can you search all of these diverse in- information sources? Can you make sure that if so-and-so is put on the, um, you know, list of people who are a child sex offenders in New South Wales and then moves to WA, are mm. the relevant, is the relevant information going to get to the relevant people? And, and so that he doesn't, you know, get given a job at a, at a daycare center there. And so all of that stuff's super important for government. Obviously, once they've selected Objective Corp, there's very, like, why are they going to change? They're not going, mm. they might, but that Objective Corp would really have to screw things up, in my opinion, mm. um, to, to really lose it because all the bureaucrats using it, it's part of the system. It's been approved by 50 different people. Like, as long as it does the job, then they're fine. And so that's really reliable revenue streams, really strong balance sheet. Um, hence why when, you know, <laughs> all hell breaks loose, I'm like, bye, bye, bye. And I, if it happens again, the longer I invest in this game, the more I feel like in a way, the value of what I've done, having spent 10 years of my life waking up every day and looking at small cap stocks is to identify a fairly small number that are just really high quality businesses. Now, you don't get an opportunity every day to buy them at attractive prices because anybody who really dives in probably reaches the same conclusion. Yeah, you can Mm. make more money sometimes investing in a stock that most people think is bad, but it's actually good. But another way you can make money is that humans tend to think in a linear fashion. And if the stock's going down, the stock price is going down and the business is going up and markets are going down and people are just yanking their money out of markets for whatever reason, out of fear, well, the buy when there's blood on the streets rule says you might want to buy, but that does not mean buy absolute trash that's going to zero. You want to find the stuff that's really strong <laughs> business. Really, you know that that they're going to, they've got a great track record of creating value for shareholders, ticks those boxes. Again, you know, I feel like this is a, a great stock for the watch list and it is in my portfolio, obviously, from my massive long round there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd agree with that. This is one that um, if you get the chance to buy it when it's being sold off, absolutely yeah. should be at the top but of the list. I've got to do a lot more work on it. Full disclosure, the last trade I actually made in Objective Corp was was a sell at, 
at just on just around nineteen dollars um, earlier okay. this year. It's fourteen um, bucks now, though. So. Nineteen dollars. I'll leave you to figure out the PE ratio if it if it's sixty two at fourteen dollars, but it, it was pretty high. Yeah, it's um yeah, it was about a hundred mil revenue, right? So, um, hundred and five. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's one point what one point four billion market cap at the time of recording. So, yeah, fourteen times thereabouts. Like probably like up to almost. A, uh, it would probably be like a multiple of sales that you would kind of usually mm. see a multiple of earnings kind of thing. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's a question for you, just completely up the top of my head. What would you say is higher quality in terms of just the overall franchise, Objective Corp or Zero? That's a really great question. Okay. Uh, well, we third, we'll put, throw a third pillar into it, Prometicus. Because these are oh, all yeah, well, high. That complicates it even further. Are, are our listeners nerdy enough to be interested in that? Uh, <laughs> a few factors to I'd consider. So. so one great strength of Zero is that it has many, many, many smaller customers. So that tilts the power in favor of Zero versus its mm. customer compared to Objective Corp cannot just be like, oh, we really want to just increase our profit this year. So we're just going to ram through a 10%, 15% pay rise on, <laughs> uh, you know, price rise on everyone. They can't really do that. Like, oh, maybe there's some local councils they can do that too. But overall, mm. you know, if they've got like de- department stuff, like, it's not that easy. I wouldn't say that they have the same degree of power over their, their larger customers tend to be larger companies as well when companies use them. So I'd give it to zero on that factor. In terms of the power dynamic with Prometicus, I think, which I also own shares in, by the way, I, I own shares in all these companies. And mm. th- thanks for telling everyone my favorite company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. It's all on display today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all right. I, I'm sure they'll forget. Um, yeah, so Prometicus has been improving that over time. When I first bought shares in Prometicus, mm. they just signed, I think it was Sutter Health, like their first really big customer. And I think it's fair to say that um, you know, at that point in time, their customer is a bigger company, like, you know, just way more power than them. Mm. And that is gradually changing with Prometicus. If we're just looking at this one factor, um, mm. over time, Prometicus has been putting its prices up to new customers. But when it re-signs those old customers, it still gives them special pricing. I think it still puts the price up, but it still gives them a special deal. Um, just out of respect and thanks for the fact that they were the early customers of, look, we do the same at A Rich Life, by the way. Like everyone, they pay their price. That never goes up, even though we put price up to new people. Mm. So those that's, first, that's twen- those first 20 guys are getting the best deal. <laughs> Stay, hang on to your memberships because you'll never find a better deal. So, <laughs> um, um, okay. Yeah, yeah I, won't, I won't go into other factors, but, you know, based on those factors, it, it does reveal one thing, which is I think in some ways, um, you know, it, when you're asking, you know, which has the better, which is the best business or which is the highest quality positioning or whatever, that's a good question. But when you're looking at businesses that are already super high quality, perhaps the better question is which one is increasing its positioning, the, improving its positioning the quickest. That's a good point, um, yeah. And at this point, I would say that's Prometicus. Although a few years ago, I would have said zero. Mm. And yeah, I agree with that. Probably back in 2015 when I first looked at Objective Corp, you could. I uh, uh, well, I don't think Objective Corp will ever quite have it, just because it just uh, it, it's always going to be dealing with the government. But also that can be really great. But it just mm. means that they 
They just it's a, it's great for slow and steady for a really long time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like an enterprise system, right? Whereas I mean, Premonicus mm. is too, but um, yeah, Zero is in that pure SaaS model, which is. I mean, but also uh, if it, you look at the numbers, Zero is in a way the weakest because it still loses money. But also, anyway, I've gone on too long about that. But they're they're all good businesses. Yeah, yeah, they're all good businesses. They're um, they're all super high quality. Maybe we can do a full deep dive on each of those in, a, in an episode in the future. But hey, man, we've got two two more companies to get through. The first one is Lavisa, which is a complete shift of gears um, from software across to uh, retail. Lavisa, we've spoken about on the podcast before, so probably don't need to go over what it does. But just quickly, it's fast fashion, so it's like. Um, necklaces and jewelry that you can buy from a small store, typically in a department store, uh, I'm sorry, in a department store in a shopping center. Um, there's a small footprint, but packs a lot of inventory in there. And you can go in there and you can buy a set of earrings. Um, you know, you might buy two, two sets for 20 bucks or two sets for 10 bucks or whatever, and then uh, keep moving. It's a, yeah. it's one run of Brett Blundy's creations and um, still backed heavily by his, his holding company. So yeah. Maybe we can just riff from there. I will. I don't know. Are you able to quickly get the share price up? Because I just want to show yeah, sure. those who are watching why this can't be left off a, a list of the companies that did that did great results um, yep. in this earning season. Uh, look, you know, you wouldn't have thought that a retailer's killing it um, at the moment with a with consumer confidence lower. But even in that chart, you can see that little up bump, the the big spike, the spike up there. At the yeah. end, that was the result. So it, it surprised the market. The market was pleased, liked those results. And overall, um, the, the numbers agree. Look, best ever revenue, second best half. The first half was better in terms of profit. So maybe some warning sign there. But you got great um, free cash flow as well, up at like 60-ish million from memory. Um, although, um, yeah, look, you've got to... There are a few different ways you can think of the, the free cash flow, their business. There's, there's growth, capex in new store rollout. Either way, the, the returns they're getting on new stores are good. Um, the interest and trend competitive positioning looks pretty good. That's what um, we've got an um, article on the website about that. It looks a lot at the competitive positioning, which I think is a reasonable way to approach assessing the business. Uh, and I just think it's interesting, even though I'm not a bit of I'm not a big retail investor, that's not my area of specialty, but I do have um, a pension for looking at those companies that are kind of best in class. And for whatever reason, LaVisa seems like one of those best in class kind of retailers, something to do with the kind of products they sell, the broad appeal, the small footprint needed, the kind of people they need to service the stores. Like it must, they must be able to get fairly cheap um, labor to work in their stores. And so overall they just, they just get great returns and they can roll out just like that. Yeah. It's um it's been a, story of rapid growth. I think I first had Josh Clark on the show from QVG mention the company. And basically, um, the return on investor capital on stores is is incredible. I think the key for people is working out now as it expands globally, particularly in parts of Europe or what have you, can it, uh, can it grow and get that ROI on stores on every new store that it rolls out? Um, they struck some really interesting deals in, in Europe, which we covered in a previous podcast. But um, yeah, it's it was it's able to basically test the water in these giant markets and, and see how they go. Um, some of the some of the businesses that um, operate in adjacent fields uh, are also impressive. Um, you know, different companies that do like trinkets for bracelets, 
and those types of things have also pulled off pretty good results. But there is a, it's also like a graveyard here. So um, Lovisa has definitely been one that's bucked the trend. And for a long time, they had the same CEO. Uh, they still got that same kind of like board, which is which is which is good. Um, and for the most part, you get dividends as well. So it's mm. like growth plus dividends. It's a yeah, like JB Hi-Fi. It's right up there as one of those businesses that has adapted really well. It is, and yeah, look, I, we're going through the winners from earnings season. It's at P, at forty times earnings. It's probably a bit dear for me, but look, you hardly mm. hardly ever see me invest in retail anyway, so I wouldn't read too much into that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I like it. I like the business. I think for a very small position, um, you know, obviously further research required. Go back and have a listen to the, the podcast I did with Raymond, uh, and you'll you'll learn a bit more about it. Uh, at, at number five, it's a business that we both covered for quite a few years, which is Alcidian. Alcidian is a health technology business. Um, does clinical uh, decision support systems and it does uh, patient flow and tracking. So if you go into an ER in a hospital in the UK or Australia, you might find that there's a piece of Alcidian software that manages your flow throughout that hospital or even outside of the hospital when you are in recovery. So uh, the business under Kate Quirk, who's not the founding uh, partner of I guess, of Alcidian, but of one of the companies that have been acquired over the years, still at the helm, done a pretty good job over the last few years. Um, just reported results, mate. What did you make of them? Look, I thought the results were good. My perpetual complaint about Alcidian is that it I just want it to be profitable now. I've been following yeah. this stock for, for years and I've owned it for quite a long time as well. Do you think it's finally reached that point though, where it can now it, it is tipping into profitability on cash flow basis? Yeah, so it is cash flow positive because actually it's a good example of exactly what I was talking about before, which is a company that still has a lot of its revenue from license sales. Mm. The reason for that is because what these guys sell is essentially workflow and ward management and patient management software for hospitals and mm. other kind of health clinic, bigger health clinic style. Um, organizations. So one of their business, you know, biggest, a lot of the, all of their, basically all, not all, but almost all of their money, I think comes from governments, um, health trusts in the UK, you know, state governments. And also I think there's the, the, the department of defense has, they're part of a big contract for health um, records for, um, you know, defense personnel. So big, again, specialty in selling, software to government uh in terms of the insider ownership it still does qualify in my opinion um the kate quirk has 46.5 million shares for a start so um that's a reasonable amount even you know it's millions of dollars worth of shares it's only 14.5 cents per share at the moment but it's still mm. millions of dollars uh one of the founders uh is still on the board he has 134 million shares another of the founders um, Raymond Blight, who I thought was a, a good guy, and he essentially handed over willingly to Kate Quirk, mm. um, and he has stepped down from the board now and, and retired essentially. But he owned a hundred million shares at the last time it was disclosed. He may have sold since then. Um, but it, interesting one because it still being a loss-making company it has been hit very hard in the current environment, and. We've seen a massive share price decline and that sort of caused me, given that the actual results still are going in the right direction, I bought shares not that long ago at around current prices and I could see myself doing it again, potentially, uh, full disclosure there, but uh, it's basically 
I don't know. It's just it, it's going to turn. I think it's going to turn into a really good good business, but it's not there yet because it's not profitable. But at the same time, it's got cash on the balance sheet. It's got again these sticky contracts with health departments. You're not going to see it disappear one minute to the next. In fact, the real headache is to even get yourself approved to be mm. um, on. You know, the, the probably the limited list of vendors that UK Health Trusts or whoever it is can can look to for the kind of um, healthcare software. So they're on that list. They're selling their revenue. They, they've done an acquisition, by the way. They've done several acquisitions. I'm hoping and I think from what they were saying on the call, we shouldn't expect a big acquisition near term. They did a strategic acquisition to be able to imp- both win some customers but also improve their offering to be more of an integrated electronic healthcare record um, in the UK. So they could offer a, a more complete kind of package there. And um, even after that, you know, we're seeing a mixture of organic and acquisition revenue growth. We're seeing that it has um, 17 million cash on the balance sheet and uh, it's cash burn, uh, excluding the acquisition, which, which was large, is negligible or nothing essentially. So in the last year, excluding that acquisition costs, in the last two years, excluding the acquisition costs, it's been free cash flow positive, basically. Yeah, so- I would add just one final thing I'll add on there is um they actually, because of the subscriptions, they actually enter the next financial year with about about the same amount of revenue that they just reported. So they're not yeah, starting. There should be revenue I, yeah. I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but yes, that was my impression as well. Like the chances of revenue growth are very, very good. So the likelihood that it's a growing company that does not need to raise more capital, in my opinion, is very high. Also, ages ago, they said um, that they would be, uh, I think, a bit positive by FY 2023, which like I think is highly likely based on the FY 22 results now. And on top of that, if anything, you know, as long as the cash flow is there, you don't really need to raise capital. And they're, they're just not burning through that much cash. They lost $4 million. Um, some of that's in acquisition costs. I'm hoping, again, if they lay off the acquisitions now, the, the, the profit result will be looking better. I They I, they have not said that they're going to be pro- profitable at a net profit level in FY 2023, but I would just love to see it soon rather than later because I just think at that point, it just stops being discounted as this loss-making tech, you know, which is getting a bad name now because everything's been wrecked, understandably, because a lot of it was crazily priced. But yeah, the higher the higher end of the risk spectrum now, but also the, therefore more hated. This is not one of my proven high-quality companies. It's not an not an objective corp that's unassailable. Mm. You can't you can't say that sort of thing until it is consistently profitable. But it just is showing the signs that it, that it could be consistently profitable, uh, and that's why I own shares in it. Yeah, I think it's um yeah like you said it's much earlier stage. It's not it hasn't proven its wares as a high quality compounder just yet. But I mean, if you were going to move further down the risk spectrum away from something like Objective Corp, you're potentially getting it for a price that's a lot less than you pay for Objective Corp. So it's that balance between risk and reward here. It's a smaller company, a much smaller company, so keep that in mind too. But um, I've spoken about it a few times on the show and I, I quite like the business. I think management has lots of integrity and I think it's in an important industry that in the UK in particular over the next three years, the UK government is basically forcing all NHS trusts to move digital. So if they if they haven't, like this is a, a major, major push by the NHS and 
Next two yeah, years. You've, you've done an interviews with Kate Quirk, haven't you? Are yeah. they still available to everyone to see that they're worth? Yeah, a watch? I can, I'll, I'll put them in the show notes. I don't. I don't think I've ever made them public, but um, yeah, oh. I can do that. No, 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 I will. Spilling the beans over here. <laughs> no, no, all good. You did the same before. It's all part of um, the old rocket service, so I can bring them out. That's no worries. Um, yeah, and I think she appeared on Strawman not too long ago. If you're a Strawman premium, yeah, she did. To- that was great yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, obviously, I, I like following it because because I own the stock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, Alcidian, um, really interesting business. That ticker symbol, just so you know, is ALC. Um, like I said, I mentioned it further down the risk curve. Um, you yeah, want to see it's, it's in that out of favor thing. So you're catching the fir- for falling knife right now, or whatever. But I mean, on rare occasions, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. So if it can consistently be profitable, can prove that it's cash flow positive, which it kind of has. I think the uh, the target was underlying EBITDA or something like that. So um, mm. it's kind of yeah, achieved that. I hope I didn't so, leave out. I think in my head it was statutory EBITDA. I might need to check that. Yeah. Either way, it's kind of at that point now. It's kind of like hopefully you're probably it's right. Usually they say underlying to you know in case <laughs> there's some unexpected cost that they want to exit <laughs> yeah. out of there. Especially if there's like a I few hope that doesn't happen though. Yeah, I hope, hope that doesn't happen. I'll be disappointed. But mate, um, we've been through a lot today. We went through you know management 101, I guess, in terms of like how much founders hold and how much owners hold and how they get to that. That's really interesting. Um, we've been through laser bond. Uh, PWR Holdings, which is the ticker symbol PWH. Please don't get confused. Uh, uh, Objective Corp, OCL is the ticker symbol, LaVisa and Alcidian. Uh, you haven't been on the show for a while, mate, but I'm hoping you can come back on. Um, I've got links in the show notes to your Twitter. I'll put links to uh, the Rich Life, uh, Rich Life website. Uh, if Are you taking supporters That'd at be the moment? Awesome. We're going to, yes, we're going to do another invitation oh, any cool. day now. I was supposed to do it already this week, actually, a little bit behind on that particular KPI. Okay. Well, this goes live Wednesday, Arvo. So if you... Uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you give us a couple if you give us a couple of days uh, that allow any listeners that want to join Claude and get we'll access do. to yeah, his research. Yeah, uh, ju- jump on the wait list if you do, if you are interested in, in receiving an invitation to join and, and then I'll, I'll look to send out those invitations um, yeah. shortly after. Great. Mate, um, hopefully we can get you back on the show. But you also regularly appear on Ausbiz, and um, the links uh, in the in the show notes to Claude's Twitter as well. If you want to uh, jump on Twitter and say good day, um, I think you've got a locked account though, right? So people have to yeah, request. Yeah, to because I criticize companies, and then so I've had some real weird stalkerish behavior. Uh, yeah. after <laughs> some people, <laughs> it's always hard as analysts because if you're too negative, then the companies never want to talk to you. And but that's what you have to do to represent your your followers, right? And yeah, it's a hard thing. Anyway, mate, I've got um, I've got some war stories that I'll share sometime when the <laughs> when the scars are fully healed. Okay, sounds good, mate. Uh, in the meantime, Claude Walker from Rich Life, thanks for joining me. Thanks a lot for having me, and thanks for listening, everyone. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. 
Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.